Welcome to On the Wing Podcast with Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever. I'm your host, Bob St. Pierre. Before we dive into this particular episode, I'm going to give you a little longer introduction than you're used to if you're a frequent listener uh, to the On the Wing Podcast. We recorded this episode um, on Friday, December the 7th, so just a few days ago now. Uh, Bethany Erb and Jim Inglis are the featured guests for this episode. They're members of our government affairs team at Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever. And when we recorded the episode last Friday, we knew that the leadership of both the, the House and the Senate Ag Committees had reached a compromised farm bill, uh, 2018 farm bill, but we really didn't know all the details of that bill when we were recording this episode. So we do talk a bit about the Farm Bill, some of what we hope is in the Farm Bill. Um, We also talk about the Land and Water Conservation Fund, the Sportsman's Act, uh, public lands package, we're hoping that we'll be moving through Congress here shortly. So we, we talk about a whole bunch of things beyond the Farm Bill. But what's happened in the six days since we recorded this, the 2018 Farm Bill, has moved at a very rapid pace, which is a very good thing because the farm bill uh, from the 2014 farm bill that we've been operating under expired at the end of September. So uh, conservation programs have been in limbo since the end of September, um, but uh, not for much longer. Uh, Let's see, get my dates right. On Monday night, the Ag Committees released their 800-page, yes, 800 pages of the 2018 Farm Bill covering everything from conservation to commodities to crop insurance to food stamps. 800 page Farm Bill on Monday night and our government affairs team dug in and started reviewing that. That bill went to the Senate floor on Tuesday afternoon and passed um, uh, really robustly, a uh, big vote in favor of passing that bill out of the Senate. And uh, again, it continued to accelerate and went to the floor of the House of Representatives on Wednesday, and it passed out of there with, with a big support as well. So the 2018 Farm Bill went from re- really being in limbo uh, a week ago to out of the house, out of the Senate on Tuesday, out of the House on Wednesday, and as I record this on the morning of Friday, I'm sorry, Thursday, the morning of Thursday, December the 13th, the only thing left remaining is for uh, the president to sign the bill into law, which he has said that he plans to do. That could come, uh, could come the end of this week. The expectation is it'll be signed. Uh, next week. Um, so the farm bill that is has moved forward does jump CRP acres from um, the current low of 24 million. It jumps up to uh, th- jumps up by three million acres to 27 million acres. Uh, so that's that's a, a big improvement of three million acres. 
Uh, it also um, creates a regular general sign-up that is expected to be every year there will be a general sign-up for the Conservation Reserve Program. That is absolutely a um, huge win for what we wanted. Uh, having s uh, regular general sign-ups allows the program to, to be more dynamic, to increase demand, and it brings new acres, fresh acres, early successional acres into the program benefiting pheasants and quail. And uh, it, uh, the, the Farm Bill also has uh, an improvement from $40 million to $50 million for VPA HIP. Okay, that's a mouthful of an, of an acronym, and we do talk about it in this particular podcast. But the moral of VPA HIP is it takes private lands, um, pays private landowners, uh, a fee for opening up their lands to public hunting. So if you think about Weehaw in Kansas or Plots in, in North Dakota, WIA in Minnesota, OLAP in Oklahoma, it's, it's programs like that that, are, uh, that, takes, that allows this federal funding to be utilized with state funds to open up those private lands for public access so some of the key those are some of the key points uh, for wildlife for habitat in this current farm bill if you want to see a full list go to pheasantsforever.org or quailforever.org go to the newsroom it's the number one press release um, in both websites it's um, the 2018 farm bill kind of a breakdown of benefits for wildlife and for habitat there's a full list of um, what this means for pheasants and quail you can get it on the websites it's also right now on our facebook pages as um, twitter um, also has it so uh, a good thing for, for Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever members and bird hunters across the land is a farm bill is moving forward. So without further ado, um, this episode, we'll talk a little bit about the farm bill. We'll talk a little bit about other conservation programs at the federal level that impact uh, pheasants, quail, wildlife habitat. And we'll talk a little bit about state programs impacted by legislation. This is your, oh, beyond the farm bill, government affairs of Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever insiders look with Jim Inglis and Bethany Erb coming at you now. It's On the Wing podcast with Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever. December 7th, which means it's the Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever office Christmas party. <laughs> so everybody around the table is wearing plaid, red and green, and there's um, all sorts of festivities. Yeah. Have you eaten your fill of Christmas cookies already no, I, this morning? I suppose we, we, not suppose, we should probably. It, it's uh, the Pearl Harbor anniversary day. That's probably the first thing that comes to mind. Um and I, I know that because that was the first thing that blared on, on my radio on the way in this morning. But it is the Christmas party, <laughs> which is a plaid-themed event. And so we're all, we're all clad in our Northwoods plaid or hunter plaid. Hunter plaid sounds more appropriate. Buffalo plaid. Buffalo plaid. Buffalo plaid. We need to come up with a pheasant plaid. What would be a It's got to have orange in the mix at some point, right? I'm not a fashion, we'll leave that I'm not a fashion expert. I've already been getting comments about my outfit today. You know, <laughs> oh, it is clashing. Well, I don't know. I thought it looks put together. You know, I have a hat. I have a hat that goes with it. That's not on yet. And that brings it that's all together. Mis- that's the missing link. Mm-hmm. If I had my hat on, you guys would be 
thinking otherwise. <laughs> Anyways. Anyways, it is a, uh, it's a festive day at uh, World Headquarters in the nondescript industrial park of White Bear Lake. <laughs> um, but uh, we, we, we do have a very fun uh, and really informative podcast lined up for uh, our listeners today. Uh, we have two-thirds of the uh, Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever governmental affairs team here. Um, you, you folks probably um, know the name Dave Nompson, he's been with Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever since, oh, basically the dawn of time. Um, I think he probably started in 1992-ish, something like that. And um, he's actually in Washington, D.C., working in um, seeing what the language is in the final version of the Farm Bill, which we expect to, to come out in a matter of days. Um, but as you heard, Anthony, um, Anthony Houck is, is joining this. And I'm uh, not, episode. I'm not any third of the government. And he's not, team. he's not, and he's not government <laughs> affairs, but we are pleased to be joined by those two thirds, uh, Bethany Erb and, um, uh, Jim Inglis. So welcome to your first appearance on, on the wing podcast, Bethany and Jim. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you. So well, let's start ladies first. Let's start, Bethany, with um, kind of where you come from, where you live today, because they're com- two completely different things. Yeah. And uh, which, how you grew up in the outdoors. Okay. Uh, well, I grew up on a ranch in southwest Montana, cattle and horses, and um, moved to Washington, D.C. right after I graduated college. Um, started as an intern for, at that time, Senator Conrad Burns from Montana, and just stuck around. Um, worked for the USDA for a short period of time, uh, Congressional Sportsman's Foundation, and uh, just started a career and maintained a career in wildlife and conservation policy. So I live in Alexandria, about six miles out of D.C., and have a young daughter. And Did you always want to be in, I guess, politics? No, I um, <laughs> because I had interned in D.C. <clears throat> when I graduated college, <clears throat> my only job was an offer at USDA in D.C. And my parents were like, well, you're not living in our basement. So <laughs> I was like, OK, I guess I'm going to go back for a couple years. And uh, now I'm going on 13 years. So, so you know, a ranch in Montana to Washington, D.C., what's the mm-hmm. what's the best part of that change from Washington from Montana to DC and what's the worst what, what drives you crazy about DC and what do you love well I miss the outdoors yeah. I mean I, I live in a major city so it's um, fun and a privilege to get to to advocate for the things that I care about conservation the outdoors hunting um, and it's exciting to be on Capitol Hill especially this time of year where things are really moving and mm. you get to be a part of the process and kind of help move the needle um, it's it's powerful to get to do that but at the same time when things slow down the inability to just you know walk outside and mm-hmm. go fishing or um you know take my daughter on a walk and see some open space uh, i miss those things so i i spend a lot of time still in my home state of montana getting outside as much as i can and gives me the opportunity to decompress and you know, attach to the meaning of what i work for yeah, yeah. um Speaking of what you work for, mm-hmm. tell us what you do for pheasants and quail around the country. What do I do? I'm the Washington, D.C. Government Affairs Representative. I've been on staff um, almost two years. And so I work with Jim and Dave um, in D.C. And, you know, I work with the 
administration, both USDA and Department of Interior, and then on Capitol Hill. So. And you hold the distinction as the very first employee that we've ever had that works every single day from D.C. Mm-hmm. So we've had government affairs for since the beginning of the organization or darn near. Yep. But um, having somebody that can walk up the hill is a new, um, uh, new change since you've joined us. What, what do you think the, the advantage is to you being right, right in the back door of backyard of uh, D.C.? Things that happen spontaneously, um, meetings, hearings, um, you know, I'm, I'm available to, to be there and be present. And um, D.C. is, um, it's, a, it's a social economy. So having been there a long time and ha- having friends and knowing friends that move on and off the hill and through agencies, you, you develop a network of friends and, and they move around, yeah. um, but they stay in the same um, sort of policy content area. So just being able to have those sorts so of relationships. So if somebody's in ag, like an ag liaison for one elected official, they're likely when they move to stay still in agriculture, right? Yeah, likely. I mean, like, sometimes people transition out and go different directions, but generally they kind of stay within I knew area. it. DC is like Hotel te- California. <laughs> <laughs> you're there for life, you know. You're now ne- you're never like you're never getting it's out. It's Potomac fever. You're never gonna I leave. Yeah, is Pot- that what you call it's it? It's called Potomac fever. People that move there and and just get attached to to being there and being in the mix. Huh. Yeah, Potomac fever. Have you ever heard that before? No, Potomac, I, mean I did. I did. Uh, we we talked about this yesterday as we were just chatting and catching up. But I did like one. I think you've done it too, where you know pheasants forever and quail forever do. I mean, you know, even though we didn't previously have a full-time staffer like, you know, Bethany is now, we would do like fly-ins and bring Mm -hmm. employees and members and landowners for, um, you know, different types of measures and meetings. Sit down with senators and and Congress people. and, And I did that. I don't know, maybe like three, was that three or four years ago? Three years ago. And it was like five days in DC. And that was like, (laughs) I, I knew then self-diagnosed that I did not have potomac yeah. fever. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm going back. Uh, I, 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 I'm fine. I'm out, you know, and we, we'll probably get to this, but I was thinking like on the, on my way in this morning is like, you know, we're, uh, um, I mean, I've been here like a dozen years and we're beating the band to like, you know, educate. I mean, that's your job in part, right? Bethany is like, um, educate, Congress people about mm-hmm. important issues in our community and I, I think you know sometimes in like in my mind I'm like God, a more perfect world just to be have sportsmen in those jobs mm-hmm. right like died in the wool sports people that are are our representatives but we're too busy hunting and fishing and actually <laughs> enjoying the outdoors that we're not there which leaves you know people who uh, uh you know just are disconnected. A from little the disconnected and leaves Bethany with um, the unenviable task of having to, like, carry the water. So are you, are you suggesting that we should see if uh, some of our chapter volunteers might be interested in con- um, contracting Potomac fever? <laughs> well, I, you know. Or running for Congress, yeah. Well, well that, that's I, what I was getting yeah. at. Yeah. I, I, I think it's, you know, actually this in all seriousness that, you know, it, it um, you know, we talk. In all seriousness, that in a broader level, probably yes, like there should be more sportsmen, conservation-minded people, you know, whatever issue. I mean, whether Mm -hmm. it's um, 
hunting, fishing, habitat, agricultural, wherever it intersects for you that, um, you know, you you should think about service. Mm -hmm. I think we've probably become a little disconnected from that. And there's a lot of things at play. It's, it's, it's hard to raise money and run. Um, Mm -hmm. there's probably a lot of reasons. It's, it's hard to think about giving up your time, you know, like, could I do that? And, and maybe that's part of it too, is you, you see a lot of, you know, um, Potomac fever people who, mm-hmm. you know, like, is that going to be me? You're fearful of like, I don't want to do, I, I, I do two years, but I'm not going to do 20. Right. Right. <laughs> I don't know. Or, you know, you run and you just get absolutely blasted, right? And sure. you're just drugged through the mud for sure. Or I suppose now too, it's just, you know, not to get too off track, but like, um, will, will I accomplish anything? Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's yeah because it looks incredibly frustrating from the outside in yeah i think so but yeah yeah, i I think just at a at a base level you know you look forward like yeah i'd I'd like to see this isn't to say that there aren't people i mean we have friends and there are sportsmen yes in sportsmen and women in congress so i shouldn't imply that there's none but it's 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 not it's not like a lot not a lot, but there are, <laughs> but there are some, yeah. I mean, I think people with our values prefer to be yeah, not in big cities and congested yeah. areas. We right. like to be, um, the solitude of open yeah. space. So mm-hmm. the transition to living in a city full time, be it as a member of Congress yeah. or a staffer or a lobbyist, um, it's a little more difficult. Yeah. I've been uh, much more interested in contracting big sky influenza <laughs> yeah. than Potomac fever. Uh-huh. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, on that note, <laughs> so, so Bob's not adou- announcing his presidential run. <laughs> I've, I have, here I, today. as you alluded to, I've also made a trip to, uh, Washington DC with our government affairs team. Um, I've only been there once. I was never invited back. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> so somebody that, uh, somebody that it doesn't live in DC, but has been there, um, a lot. And uh, I mean, going to introduce Jim Inglis now, who hails from, I believe you hail from New York, live in Ohio. Is that right? That's correct. Originally from New York. Yes. But, and you're in D.C., maybe not as often as Bethany because you don't live there, but you're in there a lot. Yeah, usually at least once a month, sometimes twice in the, you know, in the heavy, um, you know, when we've got a lot of things going on administratively around the hill. Um, it's a pretty easy trip from Ohio. I do live in Northwest Ohio now, and you know, about an hour north of Columbus. So it's pretty easy to jump into Columbus and, you know, hour flight into DC and in for a couple of days and then out. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't have the opportunity. I'm not there long enough to contract the fever. I'm able <laughs> to get out and get the the vaccine needed back in the open space. It's been funny. Back, I didn't have vaccinated. Yeah. I don't have Potomac fever anywhere on my outline for this yeah. show. <laughs> it's going to become the centerpiece. Uh, uh, so Talk, talk to us about growing up in New York and sure. how you end up, ended up with uh, Pheasants Forever and Quail. Sure. So I grew up in western New York uh, in the Finger Lakes area. Grew up on a, on a dairy farm and uh, just growing up had tremendous opportunity to hunt and fish, you know, on our farm, on neighbors' farms, um, you know, with friends and neighbors. And so early on, I was definitely interested in, in forestry and, and wildlife, you know, being in the east. And so that's kind of where my education led me. Um, bounced around a little bit and um, ended up down in Mississippi State doing grad work. Always interested in doing game birds. That was kind of what I was interested in. And so um, ended up down at Mississippi State for three years doing some wild turkey work and then 
um, went right from there to start working for Pheasants Forever. Coming up on 18 years ago, I was hired. Um, and I was hired as a regional rep in Ohio. So did the banquets, the banquets and worked with our volunteers and our agencies. And then um, in 2005, we, of course, launched Quail Forever. Mm-hmm. And there was a couple of us that had some experience in the, in the southeast. And, and um, I'd also done some work at Virginia Tech on uh, rough grouse. So I was down there. And so we launched Quail Forever and was part of that team. And then um, a couple of years after that, um, I couldn't keep that job. So then uh, I uh, got... Um, <laughs> well, that's I, not I exactly it's fair not exactly to yourself. Exactly, right. So, um, but the, the Farm Bill Biologist Partnerships mm-hmm. that we had throughout the country. <laughs> so I became the first coordinator for the Farm Bill Biologist uh, program and um, saw some of that growth. And then leading up to the 2014 Farm Bill, then um, Dave Nomson asked if I'd be interested to come over and do policy stuff so because you whirlwind you've always been a policy wonk right you right bethany's gritted is like you are you love reading those laws like the stuff that most of us like two pages in we're like oh my gosh this is a snore fest right and english is in there this is the greatest thing i've ever read it's sick It's it is interesting. I don't know. Okay, so maybe maybe that's what I've become, and maybe there's been a little bit of Potomac fever. But I would say that where that came from is being able to, you know, what does policy mean for habitat mm-hmm. on the ground, and being able to to work on that and work with the agency side. Because originally coming on and, and working with Dave, it was a lot more implementation because that's where my expertise was. You mm-hmm. know, the Farm Bill Biologist Partnership. How do we get an acre of CRP on the ground? How do we get more conservation, more access, and then changing the, you know, getting the language to, to make that happen and make the policy work? So one of the things that, you know, from a marketing and public relations perspective that I'm super proud of our government affairs team, when you look at how you, uh, all three of you, um, Bethany, Jim, and Dave kind of came up through the ranks. And I'm th- thinking about Dave first. Um, you know, his dad was the chief pheasant biologist for the state of Iowa, right? Dave's a biologist, um, you know, worked with chapter volunteers as a regional rep into government affairs. So he looks at legislation from a biologist perspective. Exact same thing with you, Jim. You grew up on a dairy farm, right? So you got agricultural background, you got a biology degree. And then Bethany, growing up on a ranch in Montana, like the place all of us dream about growing <laughs> up, right? And you bring those values um, to Washington, D.C., when you look at policy, and I think our members, Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever members, uh, Quail Forever members across the country, it should take solace in the fact that you're looking at it both from that biologist perspective, but then also, like, you know, agriculture is sort of in your roots, and you care about that intersection um, for the good of everybody, and that's, uh, I think that's important to point out, because that that's something I'm super proud of your backgrounds. Um, all right. As we transition to talking about a little bit of um, what's going on in D.C. now from a policy perspective, I do want to talk just for a moment um, what it means to be a 501c3 nonprofit. So folks listening, please don't turn off the podcast with that <laughs> note, but it's it's critical to bring that up from a um, a legal perspective. Um, one of you can tell us like what that categorization as a nonprofit, a five hundred one c three, means 
uh, from a political perspective. Go ahead, Bethany. Look, look at that. <laughs> look at yeah. that font. Pretty, pretty excitable uh, well, topic, but it, it's important yeah. to start there, right? Absolutely. Sure. Yeah. Um, so we, um, it means that we don't make campaign contributions, that, um, that our work has to remain bipartisan. And so when we're on Gemini and Dave or on Capitol Hill or when we're reporting um, on the policy that we uh, follow or promote, you know, it, it's never a political take or tone on it. Um, we don't have a PAC political action committee, so you know there's no campaign contributions, and it's really important not only for us but for our volunteers that you know we can talk to members and should talk to members about the substance of the policy. That members we, of Cong Congress, I'm right? sorry. No, that's all right. Yeah, members Just of, of Congress, and I mean both um, state and federal. Yeah, both chambers and, and House and Senate. That we talk to them, we talk about the policy. But that as individuals, if we decide to get involved with any sort of campaign or referendum, that we do not affiliate that with Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever because that would violate our status. Yeah. Yes, that's a, it's a status. A 501c3 nonprofit status is designated by the IRS, and, and we cannot violate those, those rules. Yeah. And so we can't um, uh, you know, endorse or oppose any candidates. We can't offer any funds. Um, we, we kind of use the funds that and what we do in our jobs to educate members of Congress and staff. And that's the space and the sideboards that we have to stay in between. Yeah, so so we do um, often get those questions. How come you don't tell us who we should vote for or not vote for? Or who are the elected officials that, um, you know, are the good ones and who are, you know, and that's why we can't kind of make those um, distinctions about our politicians. We have to, our battleground Maybe that's the wrong term, but our our bread and butter are the issues, not the policy makers. That good way to categorize it. Yes. Okay. You want to weigh in on five hundred one c three, Anthony? No, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> it, it gives us. I'm, I'm going to punt the ball. Right yeah, back. I'm just going to keep throwing softballs. No, that, that's, that's pretty <laughs> that's good. good. I mean, I. Uh, you know, as, a, as an entry point for questions about the organization, we do get that a lot. Yeah. So, you know, I guess what I said earlier, for all you sportsmen and conservationists that are thinking about running, because I said you probably should in the future, <laughs> do it. We just won't be endorsing you. <laughs> because we, because we, we can't. We can't. We can't. It's, you know, so that, that's just that. And that's any elected official, even at yeah. your local level. Yep. yep. So that's, that's, the, that's the space that we need to operate in. And what it's done for us for many years, long before I came to work for Feds Forever, um, you know, the reputation on Capitol Hill is that we're a very smart, credible organization that it's, you know, stays in the middle and stays policy focused. And so while, you know, there are times, of course, where we have some people that do a lot for us where we'd like to um, be able to support them, we can't. But it gives us the ability to um, to stay in the center and to work with both parties and uh, and and maintain as many friendships as possible. And that's been advantageous for us on our issues mm -hmm. long term. Mm -hmm. All right. Speaking of issues, let's transition there. Um, you know, we're, we're going to talk a little bit. Um, I want to talk a little bit about Farm Bill, which has always been the centerpiece of our policy work. Um, because that's a, a bit in limbo right now, we'll, we are going to move to we're going to talk about um, public lands, um, recovering America's Wildlife Act, which is something brand new. And uh, Land and Water Conservation Fund, which is getting all kinds of traction out on social media as well. So we're going to get to those, but let's start with um, kind of the center of the bullseye for producing pheasants and quail 
and that's that's the farm bill and very specifically CRP. As we sit here on Friday, December 7th, um, the leaders of the Agriculture Community of Congress, so the, the Senate and the House ag leaders have said as of maybe late last week that they have come to terms on a farm bill that is already expired, right? Or the, the 2014 farm bill is already expired, that they've come to terms and it is in expected to be, the language is expected to be unveiled because they're still negotiating the finer points of it, but it's expected to be unveiled next week where we'll get a full look at it. But let's talk, um, and maybe we'll start with Jim. Um, 2014 Farm Bill, um, you know, wasn't great for conservation. What have we been working on to include in the 2018 Farm Bill, and how's that process played out? Okay. Um, Yes, and you are correct. We were hoping to see language next week. Of course, this Congress is going to be done before Christmas, and then we'll have a new Congress in January. Um, Everybody seems to be that they want to get this done now and not kick the can down the road and because we'd have to start all over again. Mm And so um, start all over again because uh, the elections just yep. happened and we got a brand new um, class of senators and representatives coming. Correct. In. Correct. So um, it sounds like that they're still very close and we're going to see something next week. Um, so, yeah, in the 2014 Farm Bill, we did have a decrease in, in CRP acres, for example. Um, at that point, we also had um, pretty much reduced demand for the program because um, at that time, we were, you know, a lot of demand for crops and, and land use and commodity and prices commodity were, prices were historic highs. Mm-hmm. And um, there just wasn't the, um, the demand out there. Um, and also, they were trying to find some budget savings. Um, unfortunately, in D.C., when you find savings, it's hard to get them back. You know, it's hard to find new money to come in and do that. But um, all indications are we're going to see a slight increase in some of our favorite programs. CRP, um, you know, some of the media's been reporting 27 million acres up from uh, the 2014 bill, put it at 24. So we're hoping that we do see that slight increase there. Um, And uh, some of our other programs that, um, you know, and that's important to many of our members and, and sportsmen and women are, you know, access to those lands. So mm-hmm. the Voluntary Public Access um, Habitat Improvement Program that really began about 10 years ago in the 08 bill is the Open Fields Initiative mm-hmm. to help um, working with state agencies and partners to open up more private lands to public hunting. So our walking areas that so many of us are, how come are they, fond of. How come they changed that name? Have we talked about fields. this before? I like the open fields. We but talked then, about liking open fields. But, we never talked about but, why that happened. But then they changed it to my favorite ac- acronym ever. Vipa hip. Vipa hip. Yeah. yeah. It, it does sound uh, like a, well, it's a venereal disease. <laughs> I mean, it is. Oh, yeah. yeah right? I don't, I don't know. I actually, I, it's, it's my favorite because it it's sounds, so, it's so different that. Really? Yeah. It's a yeah. blue it rolls, It rolls yeah. off the tongue. Yeah. Right. Not it like is. Zero. I'm just saying, right. you know, right. you well. got to have a favorite. It's like that one stands out. Vipa hip. That's your it, acronym, well, huh? It sure stands out. It well, why'd they change it? Why'd they go from my... We're going to have a t-shirt next year that says that on it. <laughs> yeah. the, the front will say VP. Yeah. If, if it'll be our, my favorite acronym. The back will say be it's a venereal disease. We're, we're, I've got VPA hip. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you have Potomac fever. So it'll, it'll, it'll and be VPA our, hip. It'll, it'll be our worst seller. Anyways. 
Um, that's I a digress. great. That's the great thing about DC is we can come up with some awesome acronyms, and we have to because otherwise, <laughs> if if we couldn't use acronyms, this this uh, this uh, discussion may go on, you know, even longer. Yeah, but you know, to... that brings up a point that I just, you know, another thing I was thinking about is because we talk about it sometimes as we're getting in like our our group think like, oh, there's too many acronyms. There's too many acronyms. The general public isn't going to understand it. And you know what? I'm kind of, I'm like past that. I'm just like, you're not that dumb. (laughs) Like we cannot, we can, you know, we can understand this. We should understand this, right? You pay attention long enough. You get involved. It's like, there's 15 acronyms. We're surround, we're surrounded by acronyms, Mm -hmm. right? He just talked about the IRS. You're a sports fan, baseball fan. There's acronyms, football. They're everywhere in life. So like, just because we get to conservation, we're going to give ourselves an excuse that it's all of a sudden too complicated and it's just too heady. And because we're not a policy wonk like Jim Inglis, it's just, eh. Yeah, it's not a good excuse for me anymore. There's like 12 <laughs> you have to understand, right? <laughs> Tell me I'm not off base. Uh, I, I, I would, I would uh, beg to differ with you on this point, okay. but but it's not one that I want to pick okay. a fight on. You don't, uh, well, I, I will say this, that, you know, it, you can – it doesn't end, you know, but I'm just saying like the major ones, like, yeah. you know, well, you should know CRP, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Right. But I, I get like crazed when it, everything becomes an acronym. Yeah. Man. You know, and they're like, oh, like restore, uh, I'm sorry, recovering America's wildlife act. Right. Now we got a new one. Rawa. Like, <laughs> really? It sounds like another STD to me. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's well, like, come on. <laughs> I, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll grant you that it's. I'll grant you that it's not in the same class as Vipa. Yeah. It's just not. Right. You know. So we can we can differ on their merits a little bit. All right, Jim. Where, where were I, we? I don't remember. I was just trying to think of where we wanted to go. Uh, with that. Uh, well, we were talking VPA yeah, hip. So public some other access. right. So, um, you know, the fact is, is that um, in the fourteen farm bill, and we, I think what we can expect in this next farm bill is it'll be over six billion dollars annually for conservation. And, you know, no matter what the details are in each of those programs, they're still going to be there. They're effective, you know, whether we're doing, um, you know, pheasant work in the, in the Midwest or the sage grouse initiative out, out in, in the Western landscape and, and uh, Bethany's backyard out there, um, forestry provisions in there, being able to use, um, you know, work with forest owners to enhance, you know, habitat for, you know, woodcock and, and rough grouse, for example. So um, as a community, wildlife community and all of our partners and the agencies, we'll take that and run with it and be able to do good things for Habitat. And we've got a team of our volunteers that are out there. Um, You know, part of my um, um, relief from the D.C. is to be able to work on our Habitat projects, the local chapter. Mm -hmm. So I'm the co-Habitat chairman. We get out and and get work done. And we're still going to need that, and we're still going to have plenty of tools in the toolbox. I wouldn't want to be the other cull. Like with you, like who's a biologist yeah, that works in DC? <laughs> like, no, nah, Jim, you. I mean, no, maybe I would. Yeah, I would like to be the co because then I'd be like, no, nah, Jim, you got yeah. this. They just, they just <laughs> the know, kid. they just know I'm the drill guy. So <laughs> I, you know, I knew it was gonna be so. You know, the brush hog or the chainsaw or something like just go, you know, vent a little yeah, bit. That's right. Do habitat work and and see how it, how it gets done. So, so. It, uh, remind us. Uh, 
when pheasant numbers were at the absolute peak of kind of this generation, 07, 08, CRP was capped, I want to say 39.1 million acres. 39.2. 39.2. And how many acres were enrolled at that Um, point? Close to 37. So it it was touching up there, close to 37 acres. So we've never, that's the thing about the CRP program when it was first, um, implemented in 1985 we had authority upwards of 45 million acres mm. but we never got there okay. the demand necessarily wasn't there um, but the authority was there and then it ratcheted down because there was because of the demand and then also it's a budget savings mm-hmm. you know when you can't enroll but when the cap got smaller we didn't have the the space at the top to be able to you know we still had to be underneath the cap because by authority we can't go over that so when it went from 39.2 all was there a a jump in between, or did it go 39.2 all the way to 24? No, it went to um, 39.2 in 2002 Farm Bill and 08. It went to 32 million. Okay. And then That's 14, right. which really started out to be the 2012 Farm Bill, but it took two years to get it done. Right. There was became the 24 million cap. Hmm. Um, so so every point. indication we have where it, you know, it's not. At back at that 45 or 39.2, but it's heading in the right direction again. Yes. And the expectation is that it's going to be 27 million. Correct. And if we think about the last general sign up, which I believe we talked about was two years ago, three years three ago, years ago yeah. there was incredible amount of demand to get enrolled in that from landowners, right? Yeah, there was a tremendous amount of demand, and it was the lowest acceptance rate that we'd ever seen in the history of the program. Um, you know, and, and people saw it in the news releases there, but, you know, South Dakota had, you know, I think close to 50,000 acres offered and two contracts came in with 101 acres. Mm-hmm. I think that's the kind of the best example we can put up there that the program was not really working very well during that sign up, but we couldn't bring in any more cause we were bumping up close to that cap. Mm-hmm. And that's where, um, well, USDA, not we, couldn't, USDA, USDA couldn't bring any more. They yeah. couldn't bring it in and, um, yeah, we collectively as the well, you know, as a community. Um, so, yeah, that we're as you said, we're headed in the right direction, um, and you know, we'll, we need to get those acres implemented as quickly as possible. So when um, when those farmer when we bring landowners members to DC, um, it, it, do you see that argument when landowners farmers say, "Hey, we need more CRP acres"? Does that have an impact on? senators and representatives you know absolutely because we look at conservation you know as part of the entire farm bill but it's also part of the safety net of you know rural america um you know crp uh, most of the crp that's enrolled you still have the opportunity to to hay or graze it during a drought absolutely if that happens um during some kind of natural disaster or even through a, a managed standpoint where it still can be a resource and it's enrolled for 10 or 15 years um, but we look at it as a safety net, you know, the conservation safety net, just like we'd look at other, um, you know, opportunities there. So, yes, that story uh, resonates well with members of Congress. And, you know, when you have a farmer that comes in that talks about what it means to their family and their operation, um, they can be a small, small operation or they can be thousands and thousands of acres and conservation is part of what they do. So before we move on to kind of pheasants forever and quail forever policy work, beyond the farm bill uh, one point that i wanted to make sure comes out is if we do have listeners out there landowners farmers ranchers dairy farmers whatever that care about crp one place that we struggle to find 
contacts er, er, people willing to go to dc right we we are always looking for people in the agriculture community um that say hey take me to dc i want to i want my voice to be heard um how do they get in touch with with you guys if there's listeners out there that says i want to i want to engage in this process i've sat on the sidelines too long yeah, and not all of it means that you have to go to D.C. I mean, a lot of the work that we do is back in the districts and the states, you know, town halls, um, contacting your member, showing up at the local office that's near you. Um, but if they want to get a hold of us, then, I mean, you can find, um, you know, Bethany and I on, um, you know, on, on the blog. We've got the blog that we've been trying to do. Um, we've got our contact information on there. Um, but, you know, find us at Pheasants Forever. Yep. And, so f- and, and we do get those kind of emails. What can I do now? I am a landowner. Oh, just My say contract is Just say you guys are on Twitter. We are on Twitter. <laughs> We're on Twitter. We are on Twitter. <laughs> you can follow us on Twitter. Separately, um, not together. <laughs> so what are, what's, you what's, what's your Twitter handle? Um, at Jim Inglis uh, underscore PF. In English is I-N-G-L-I-S. Correct. And Bethany's checking her. I'm yeah. checking. <laughs> I knew you were going to ask me. <laughs> at Herb underscore Bethany. At you had herb. to check that. <laughs> yeah. I had to think quick too because I couldn't E-R-B remember the R B underscore. I thought it was going to be like a vanity tag, like you know, like Wonder Woman DC or something like that. I don't know. That's her burner account. Yeah, yeah. No, just it's like your name. Just my name. I can't talk. Mine's in the same. Mine's the same. You know, I, I although we should get vanity accounts. <laughs> all right anyways <laughs> so yes absolutely engage i mean we, we can do this for any of the policy discussion and we might get here towards the end but you know engage and and they, they we need those personal stories you know landowners that send in a letter that have a picture of them you know standing next to their tractor in the fall but also out in the field hunting with their their family and friends you know put those in an envelope and send it to your member of congress and say this is what this is why it's although i have a question for you how much like i feel like i grew up on a farm too although you know um semi-working farm we'll put it that way i didn't work (laughs) everybody else did but like how how many days off did you get on a dairy farm not many how many dairy you know that's that's, what i always think it was like you know like you don't i had a a good buddy um who was like pretty much the last like he and his dad were like the last dairy farmers in the county and uh i mean they never got a day off no ever ever so if that's like your, that's like your, uh, um, you know, like unicorn out there. If you could get a dairy farmer to go to DC, get right. them, you know, they just, we've they, had, they just we've don't had a couple, off we've days. had a couple and Gosh. of course, um, but you know, and that's a, that's an interesting point too, is because that time, yeah, I, I wanted to hunt and fish and that's why I figured dairy farming probably wouldn't be good for me <laughs> because I did try to sneak in as much of that as possible. But, um, at least where I grew up, there weren't many dairy farmers that were, that were sportsmen or hunters. I mean, they yeah. made deer, they made deer hunt you know, or, but they, it was, it's difficult, but. So, so since we're at, at this part of the, part of the discussion, we talk about landowners, farmers going to DC. Let's talk a little bit about how members can engage in DC, because I think there is a perception that there's apathy, right? Like, Oh, you know, my voice is insignificant. That's not the case. I mean, I've, I've been in senator's offices. That's, you know, 10 emails or 10 phone calls, 10. 10 makes a difference on an issue right Mm -hmm. yeah it does and we can you know we can go into the offices as much as we want and and 
give our spiel about why we need certain things, but it what really matters is when they hear from their constituents. These are the people that live in their districts, and they're the people that vote. Mm-hmm. And all politics are local. At the end of the day, they're going to do what their constituents want them to do, or usually they do. So when they hear from someone, um, an email, a phone call, a letter, just showing up at a local event, it really matters. It really matters, and they listen. So, and personalizing it, right? Like saying, exactly. you know, CRP matters to me because. Mm-hmm. It's entirely appropriate. You know, it, it, it creates habitat to take my daughter, my bird dog, out into the natural world and, exp- you know, have a great day in the field. That means absolutely something to a mm-hmm. legislature. Legislator. You know, and another thing, too, like, you know, personally, I just made a trip to South Dakota. I drove out there for the first time in 10 years to hunt. And, but I'm going to call the South Dakota members or when I get a chance to run into staff, I'm going to, Hey, had an awesome time in South Dakota. Hadn't been there, need to go back, you know? And so if you're hunting in other States and the, and the economic impact, talk about that. Somebody told me once, what would we do if we could take all our receipts from a hunting trip and put it in an envelope and send it to our member of mm-hmm. Congress to show the local impact and mm-hmm. the, mm-hmm. you know, in the local, you know, hotels and the diners and, you know, it's a great local, point. You know, so well, keep that in mind. If you just look, if you just look at like the landscape too, like I'll, I'll just use some of these events as like just a a marker of um, your receptiveness, openness to like talking about issues. But like, there's there's a a governor's pheasant hunting opener here in Minnesota, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and it brings in other people like Tim Walls, who's the governor elect here in Minnesota. He was there. Amy Klobuchar. Who's a senator, maybe potential presidential candidate? Um, she she stopped in. There's uh, Kansas governor's pheasant and quail opener, mm-hmm. right? Uh, there's one in South Dakota. Yeah. Um, Iowa. There's one Illinois. in Iowa, and and then there's I mean, so just you know that kind of just as as one you know just uh, like I said marker there. It's like there you know these there's an awareness i mean these are it's not like there's it's not like there's just closure to these issues when you think about like i mean obviously i mentioned some state officials but these events drawing you know senator thune goes to the south dakota pheasant mm-hmm. opener and and so i mean these issues are on their radar screen well it's you know it's, so it's not like they're it's not like you're you're gonna if you schedule an appointment or drop a letter or an email like it, it's not like these things are just completely off the mark off the radar screen i mean they want to hear about these things it's and, and in our part of the world testament to the relevance yeah uh, of not only the issues but the people that care about them yeah and the more that you can talk about the economics of hunting and what that means to small rural communities uh, the more powerful it is because these members are hearing from everyone on every issue from national defense to you know, food policy to education so mm-hmm. when we talk about it as um, hunting is recreation that's a different conversation than it's like this is an important part of our economy mm-hmm. it yeah. frames the discussion differently well um just as an like an example too but that that's even more of a reason to, to be active is because you are competing against other people like i absolutely get, i grew up in colin peterson's district um and my parents still live there my brother farms there and he looks like he'll be the um ranking member on the the chair the chair mm-hmm. of the the house ag committee and so i get his like district newsletter and every week there's two or three groups that have met in his office right mm-hmm. on something energy another everything egg health care 
And so if you're not in there competing for your issue, you're going to be out because <laughs> there's other people that are there, mm-hmm. you know, it's, and it's every week, it's 52 weeks a year that, that there's, you know, a grip and grin photo with him talking about some other issues. So their um, staff if, cover a, yes. an average of 72 issues. So, so there you 72 have it. 72 issue areas. So don't make it seven, you know, don't make it 71, yeah. <laughs> you know, like that's why we have to be there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good point. All right. Issues. Let's go beyond the farm bill and talk about um, another piece of legislation we expect to be moving is kind of termed the public lands package. And this includes um, LWCF, another acronym, <laughs> Land and Water Conservation Fund. Tell us what the Land and Water Conservation Fund is, what it does, and what you expect to happen. Okay. Um, yeah, so we're, <laughs> we think um, next week there will be something, some, we're not exactly sure what the name will be, but a, a public lands package, which is going to include a lot of the conservation priorities that our community has worked on for many years, including components of the sportsman's package or a variety of things within the sportsman's package. Mm-hmm. So a lot of things hopefully will be combined and um you know we'll make it into law the land and water conservation fund lwcf yep um it expired the same time the farm bill does it needs to be reauthorized and right now the uh it will probably be permanently reauthorized but will not have mandatory funding so um what that what lwcf does uh very high level is that it it provides a funding source to um, increase and enhance access so like in my um I grew up in Beaverhead County in Montana, great trout fishing. And uh, there are several access points to the river that were created, boat ramps, through LWCF funding. So if you're a a fly fisherman or Mm -hmm. fisherman in general, you have a real hard time getting on the river because mostly you're going to be going through public or private ground. And then these access points were created through LWCF. So, um, you know, it's it's easement and fee acquisition. Right. But it's a really terrific funding source for access for sportsmen. And it... It, it, like you say, it's it's paralyzed right now because, you know, that whole bunch of things, Farm Bill included, expired and nothing was done about it. So there is a lot of optimism that's going to get signed and re- restored here mm-hmm. next week. Um, uh, again, part of that public lands package was a parks maintenance bill. Mm-hmm. What what does that do? So the um, the idea with the parks maintenance bill and these are sort of warring ideologies within Congress, is that if we're going to increase the federal estate, we should manage what we have as well. Mm-hmm. And that there are um, a lot of our national parks and other areas that need some work, yeah. some maintenance. And so it would provide a funding source to improve what we already have, gotcha. which we also think is really important. And that's an administration priority as well. So we think we'll see that in the public lands package. Also part of the public lands package, as you mentioned, is elements of the Sportsman's Act, which has been, gosh, maybe five years in the making. Oh, longer than that. that. Okay. So so a couple of the elements critical to us are the PR Modernization Act, which allows for what to happen? Well, for additional funding, but for um, for the funding to be used for different – for different activities, including R3, so the okay. outreach and um, reactivation of the hunting community. So, so I guess I should back up PR modernization. Pittman right? Robertson. Yeah, right. Yeah. So when anybody buys um, hunting, shooting-related items, there's a tax that we've 
kind of self-elected law and yep. excise tax uh, back in the 60s. 1937. 1937. I am wow. three decades off. <laughs> um, that those funds go to Habitat and this Modernization Act will allow for use in recruiting and retaining, reactivating R3, mm-hmm. a new generation of um, outdoors people, basically to help the fund continue in per- per- perpetuity, which then leads to more habitat. Correct. Yeah. Um, the other one, here's a big acronym again, that's part of the uh, Sportsman's Act, NACA, right? <laughs> Um, tell us what NACA is and why it's important to, to Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever. The North American Wetlands Conservation Act, um, of which Pheasants Forever and Dave Nomson sits on that, uh, that council, um, that's anywhere from 50 to $75 million, I believe, a year that comes in to basically restore wetlands. And, um, you know, so something that's very important because, you know, we're restoring wetlands, but we also have the grass buffer around that wetland to restore that you know, the cattail sloughs that we're doing. Um, and these projects happen um, throughout uh, um, waterfowl flyways from north, you know, from all of North America. And um, so, um, again, very important, a significant amount of money that came in. And that's been around since the um, early 90s. And um, so, again, it's just it needs reauthorization. And when things expire... And usually we're able to get those reauthorized by doing some kind of sportsman package bill, you know, not just standalone. And so, yes, we're hoping that that moves forward as well. So when folks ask you, why is Pheasants Forever part of a wetland? Tell me how you answer that. Um, It's Habitat, right? So we're the Habitat organization, and and we do work, as I mentioned before, I mean, whether it's forestry work in the Farm Bill, we're advocates for that. We work with our other conservation partners and and other groups out there to just make sure we can get habitat in all forms on the landscape. Well, I always relate it back to, especially in the upper Midwest here, Minnesota, the Iowa, the Dakotas. Like, I look outside here December 7th, and there's some flurries coming down, snow flurries. For, I know, our, for our Christmas party. For our Christmas. Yeah, it's very festive. <laughs> festive. Um, I know exactly where the birds are right now, right? They're in cattails on frozen wetlands that – have been purchased through duck stamp dollars through NACA. I mean, that's where the pheasants are right now. There's ducks are all gone, right? right? But those duck stamp dollars, those NACA dollars, are absolutely creating habitat that are carrying pheasants through the winter. They're critical for white-tailed deer, for turkeys, for water quality. I mean, it's it when you think about it, it's ap- it's so natural that we're part of those discussions being part of not plus i know that pounding cattails is your favorite type <laughs> <of hunting. laughs> that might be has been brought up on other yeah they're not my favorite type of hunting but i'm glad that they're there but me and my pointers will walk the yeah. big country and let you flush them out of the cattails for us we, we got a cattail bird last weekend it was oh so sweet you like <laughs> yeah you like cattail. well not i don't like the ones that are like i mean i i l- 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 let me take a step back i like that they're there too Mm -hmm. we'll um we'll embrace on that point but uh you know the ones that get really bent over and just are almost impenetrable i I weave my way through Mm -hmm. you find the deer lanes oh yeah um but yeah you know i got a few this is where we differ i mean you're um i like i like going through cattails 
as much as I don't like going through the grouse woods and getting sticks in my face. <laughs> so we're just, we flip on that point, Bob. You know, one question I had for you, Jim, was just like, and, and Bethany, I guess either one is just like, you know, uh, I guess this question comes as a, uh, um, somebody who works in the conservation community, but I guess as a citizen too, who just follows this kind of stuff is like, you know, are the days of just like standalone bills, like do, do they happen anymore? I mean, all this stuff gets just like packaged together. It's like a big, it's like, it's like progressive insurance. It's just a big bundle, you know? <laughs> and I mean, everybody loves bundles, I guess your internet insurance. Why not your conservation policy? I mean, is that just, is that just the way of the world or like, I mean, you even think about the conservation title of the farm bill. That's like one of six, right? Or one, I, 12, one, 12, 12. right? Mm-hmm. It's just it's it's one singular element, and there's still eleven other ones. I mean, does can this stuff stand alone, or is it it it's just better for it to be packaged with other things and kind of leverage it? That's a good question. I would say that we're seeing more of those, but every once in a while you get a standalone too. I mean, and we're thinking that you know there's a possibility this farm bill could be part of the budget and the continuing resolution in the next two weeks to move together because there's only a limited number of days Mm -hmm. before this Congress is done. Yeah, and because um, so you see more of it, and, it, and maybe a little bit more efficiency yeah. to do that, but also more support. I mean, that's the reason I, why you package things together, right? So there's really there's not time on the legislative calendar not okay. to package things when you look at how much they're actually in Washington. I mean, even when they're in when okay. they're in they're in Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then they fly home every weekend, hmm. and then they're out all of August. Yeah. They're out over holidays, so they're really not in Washington that much. I okay, mean, to some degree. Um, some things do stand alone. Uh, it gives us the ability to pay more attention to it and to focus on it. Uh, but oftentimes it is combined. Um, a couple years ago, I was working a piece of legislation that went in the omnibus. It was called the conservation tax incentive and everything was in there. And so, um, you, you get in positions like that where members have supported you on that particular issue for many, many years, but then they vote against it. And you know, the community is in an uproar, like, well, you supported this issue so many times before. Why not? Well, it's, well, it's because it's with 500 other things that right. I can't support. And so it gets kind of confusing when you're trying to communicate what happened or why someone voted for or against something when these things are so many components yeah. and they're so different. This is this is the simple farm kid in me. Well, semi-working farm kid. <laughs> not, not, you know, I look at it and it's just like, God, the land, land and water conservation fund, just like vote on it. Just like, <laughs> yeah. right. Go, go right. to work. Why go, does it have to be packaging? Go at 8 o'clock, show up, sit in your chair, vote uh-huh. yes or no, and then let's move on. And I mean, like I've, I've been there and I've seen how hectic it is and it's just like a circus, but you know. When I'm when I'm out of there, and and like I said, I don't I don't have that disease that you guys have that you know is is gonna affect you for the rest of your lives. And I get out of it, and I'm just like, just just vote on it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's been like when you talked about it for five years, just just vote, yeah. <laughs> just do it. But that that does make sense when you when you know if you can put everything together. That um, it's a complicated world, and it, right? it's uh, you hear a lot about this too. And this is a real thing. I mean, they're putting deals together at the end of the year, or other times throughout the year, late at night, twelve o'clock, one o'clock in the morning, and voting. And things will make it in. You're like, wow. Where'd that come from? So, so do they wear trench coats when that happens? <laughs> like, is it in the back alley? No, but that's why it's so important. Like Jim and I were working amendments earlier this year on the House side um, because we kept seeing a, a provision that we didn't like, which would cap CRP at a historic low, and it was popping up in amendments. And so that's you know part of our job that we have to keep a really close eye on what's happening 
at that moment and having those relationships like he and I do on, on Capitol Hill so that people call and tell us that, mm. hey, guess what? This is happening. Um, because if we weren't there and really, um, you know, connected to the staff, we would miss some of those things. And then it would end up being in the package for the final vote. And and so, there it would be. So it, just as a clarification, some of the most important relationships to getting conservation policy is actually not with the elected officials and you've no. alluded to this uh, you, you mentioned staff mm-hmm. it's the personal relationships that you both and dave have with the people that are actually sitting down and typing up the words right correct yes and and it just takes time and i think there's tw- I, th- I heard a figure yesterday twelve thousand staff on the hill or yeah. something like or in dc or something and it's <laughs> you but you also have your state staff yeah. you know, that are back in the states and the districts running the offices. And then those people, as Bethany talked about, they move around. Yeah. You know, they might start out in the House, they may go to the Senate, they may be on the Ag Committee. And then, you know, we have people that end up in the White House at some point. And you know, are those folks that are that grew up, you know, anglers, hunters, that those where conservation is meaningful to them, and then you get a personal connection, and that's the, they're the, the gems? Absolutely, those happen. You know, they yep. are, you know, especially folks that are working on ag committee. They may have come from a, um, you know, a rural area, but you know, maybe on a farm or ranch, and they have that expertise, and that's why they're in that role. When they went to when they went to school, they just picked that. They took that, you know, poli sci mm-hmm. track, uh, political science track, and then um, that's where they end up. So Joy just opened the conference door and held up a glass of what I assume is eggnog, which <laughs> I think means the Christmas party is getting close oh, to starting. Um, <laughs> no, that was a bottle of gin. <laughs> 9.15. I kid, I kid. Um, what, what have we not covered? I know we haven't covered, um, you know, state-specific issues that are, that are percolating out there that are important to us. I will in, in Iowa um, is one example. Um, maybe give us the soundbite on I will. So in a lot of the states that, um, you know, we're, we're also trying to find those efforts to generate funding for conservation that benefit, you know, soil, water, and wildlife access to those lands. And so when we take and try to find dedicated funding, like with I Will and a, um, a program that they've been working on for a number of years, and hopefully, you know, we can get that moved, you know, across the finish line and find some funding for Iowa on the state side. Mm-hmm. And the beauty of that is that we you know, we take our local chapter money, we take the state money, we take the federal money, we work with other partners and foundations to just get habitat created across the, the country. And um, it, we need all of those pieces to work together. And, um, you know, and we need to try to generate more funding that way. So one thing listeners should should recognize is, uh, you know, we do have reps working in each state, but uh, our government affairs team, Bethany and Jim and Dave, are also working in the state capitals to make sure that um, conservation policy is um, effective, not only in D.C., but in the state capitals, whether you're in Lansing, Michigan, or, you know, St. Paul, Minnesota, or Des Moines, and wherever uh, pheasant or quail country may be. Any other state uh, issues you want to throw out there as uh, critical at the moment? You know, again, we're at the end of the legislative session on the state side as well, so... Um, it's probably going to be fairly quiet until the new, um, you the know, new, new members get in it, in there, and then, you know, we'll we'll start again and start, you know, working on our priorities. So as we wrap up, um, takeaway message for members of Quail Forever, members of Pheasants Forever, on what they can do to um, get engaged um, to help 
ha- create habitat out on the landscape through policy. Um, I would say when you get your magazine, look at that Capital Insider. We try to keep that as up to date and current as possible. Um, as we mentioned before, there is a blog out there that Bethany and I work on a couple times a month to try to get the most up to date information out there and, and just that's engage. On pheasantsforever.org and quailforever.org. Just look under the stories tab on the website. And um, so, you know, and, and then engage on those issues. I mean, you, you know, if you've been a, a member, you know, short or long term, you don't see a ton of action alerts from us. Um, but when we do call one and we put one out there, then then make that call and make that contact to your elected officials, whether it's on a national scale or, you know, at a, on a state issue. We need your help. Absolutely. And if you are a, a member, a farmer, landowner that does want to go to D.C., we are looking for you. Um, so hit us up, whether that's uh, Bethany, Jim, Dave, Anthony, me. Uh, we'll give you a, a Potomac fever shot <laughs> before before we take you. Yep, and uh, um, you'll you'll help us create habitat uh, for the greater good. Uh, thank you, thanks Bethany yeah. for for uh, sitting in on your first on the wing podcast. Thanks Jim, uh, Anthony, as always, entertaining. <laughs> hey, is Oprah gonna run for president? <laughs> maybe (laughs) and on that note you listen uh thanks for listening to uh, uh, on the wing podcast with happy holidays merry christmas quail forever happy holidays merry christmas get out there spend some time uh chasing pheasants chasing quail this holiday season with uh, your family and your friends it's it's why we do what we do spending those times in the field are critically important, especially this time of year. Hope you have a very Merry Christmas. I'm Bob St. Pierre. Thanks for listening to On the Wing.